Hey crew, hope you are well and thanks for checking out the High People podcast again. We are on episode six today, which is awesome. And I think I say that about every episode because they are a lot of fun. If you haven't already, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, download your podcast from Spotify, Google, Apple, every review, every bit of feedback is, is so awesome. And to hear the feedback from Andrew Thomas's episode last week was phenomenal. I loved hearing that stuff. So keep it coming. We're trying to learn. We're trying to get better. We're trying to bring you good stories. And this week's one is a good story. His name is Chris Roberts, who I've had the pleasure of knowing for about the last two years. And understanding his journey and his story of where he's come from has been really, really cool. I'm not going to get too much into it because his story talks for himself. And this is a really cool chat. So tune in. But this is the story of Chris Roberts. Our guest today is Chris Roberts, who I've known for probably the last uh, one and a half, two years maybe now. We attend the same church. Uh, He's a fellow podcaster, and I'm not going to lie, a lot of my inspiration definitely came from him um, after I jumped on his show and we we spoke about movies and and the like, but I I won't ruin it. I'll let him explain it, but Chris... Mate, welcome to the show, mate. Really excited to have a chat with you tonight. Thank you so much for having me. This is a real delight um, to be able to sort of help you out and jump on and, you know, to be able to share my story. It's a real privilege. Well, I definitely was bouncing ideas off you at the start, that's for sure, you know, with the microphone and, and what do we do and how do I do this and how do I do that? So you, you're really valuable in, in that sense at the start and setting it up. So thank you uh, in behalf I of mean, that. That was, that was really, really good. I think if you can avoid what I did was basically was just learn it all on the go. And so my first, you know, six episodes aren't that great quality um, and, uh, you know, I had to learn it all. So if I can help you get to a really good quality show straight away, well, then it's worth it. Well, it's definitely a lot of fun and, and that's something we're going to we're going to touch on later. But hey, let, let's talk about your, your podcast, mate. What's your, what's your podcast called and, and what's the intention and, and, and where can we get it as well? Oh, yeah. So uh, back in the very first lockdown, now that we've had many, um, <laughs> Yeah, it, I've, I mean, I've always, I always talk about creative things and I had one friend send me that meme of like the, the, the man that looks back at the other woman, you know, that meme. And it was like, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the girl that I was meant to be focusing on was actually doing creative projects. And, and then the, <laughs> the, the person I'm actually looking at is just talking about it. Um, so yeah. Um, you know, my wife was just like, this is a great time. Like my big interests like were movies and food. And so it was like, well, why don't we combine those together and just have a go? And so the intention really is to just talk about movies and then, you know, there's lots of food in there, basically shoehorn it in and create film-based recipes. It just really gets me making lots of new things that I would never really try. And um, yeah, and so it's, we've been running it for almost a year and a half now. And it's Mm. just like a creative outlet. I think I was talking to you about it, like your waters to beers, you know, I've settled Mm. into a really nice rhythm where I really just enjoy making it every month and I have friends on and it's just a way to celebrate those passions in my life. And so if anybody actually listens to it, well then that's a bonus, but sometimes it's just like, I've got it. I will talk about someone's ear off and it's better if I just do it to a microphone 
and it gets it out of my system. So. <laughs> well, it's funny though, and we've had this conversation a couple of times, and I'm glad you brought up the creative spark because it's something I was going to chat to you about. But we have those creative sparks, right? And I think it's the moment of whether we whether we act on it or, or whether we whether we don't. Um, so the Film and Food podcast on Spotify, Apple. Um, I've got to say, one of the highlights for me was doing the episode with you uh, and the movie uh, Parasite. Am I am I right with that? Is that what the movie was called? Yes, so great movie. You, 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 I said to you, oh, you know, I'd love to come on your show. It's, it's It was a good listen. I'm not going to lie. It's a lot of fun. We talk in depth. That, and I, I self-profess, not a massive movie guy. Uh, in comparison to you, I'm a one out of ten, uh, which we'll get to as well. And I said to you, you know, just send me a movie. You know, I'm, I'm open. I'm open slather. And then you sent me Parasite. And I... Uh, if you haven't seen Parasite, I'm not going to say anything else. Go see it. And then Incredible. listen to the episode. <laughs> and then listen to the episode and we'll dive in deep <laughs> and, and talk about it. But I was just so uh, impressed because it wasn't a movie that I probably would have um, gone to. Uh, it wasn't a movie that I would have, you know, just picked off the off the shelf or, or just watched and, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So what's what's your favorite part about your podcast, mate? You know, what's what's the element that you, you really love? Yeah, I think... I do all sorts of episodes, but I do definitely love having just one guest come over and we often, you know, what I did with you and a bunch of my other guests is I try and make the first part of the recording where we eat the food together mm. and just really sort of enjoy it and talk about it. And then, then we get to talk about the movie. And so that's just like one of the highlights is just being able to have a conversation, being able to talk about it. Uh, even being able to introduce people to new movies is just really exciting because um, I love lots of things, too many things to include in my life. <laughs> but I, one of the great things I think about movies is that they teach you empathy. Like you can obviously escape when you watch a movie. You can be challenged when you watch a movie. Like you can just want to be entertained and you just want to feel good. And all of those reasons are valid because it's such a subjective medium. But you know, you can hear all sorts of stories that you would never really get to hear about or understand people's perspectives just by watching different things. And I, I definitely love hospitality and cooking and food and everybody does it. Like we all eat. And so, yeah, I think they really merge well and it's just something I'm passionate about. And excuse me, I think, yeah, you can... Basically, it's just like a, a learning journey. Every movie, you learn something and you cook something and it's just the great things in life. I don't know, you finish work and hmm. you want to do things that you like to do and you're passionate about. And so, yeah, for those who are interested in that kind of thing, you know, I try and experiment and do different uh, episodes and it's just something, yeah, that I've, I've loved doing. I don't really know how else to articulate my thoughts in an eloquent way, but, um, yeah, it just, I, I feel like it's just become part of my life now. Like before I was like, I was like, how have I done 20 already? And it was like, I just, mm. you just make time. So it's been good. I think that you nailed it. And we've, we've had this conversation many a time. You just said, I like doing it. You now that that's, that's it in the end. Like, um, you know, the reason we started, um, high people podcasts, you know, it was like, I had this, you know, inspiration that, hey, let's hear some people's stories because it's fun. You know, I love the idea of, you know, sitting at the pub or sitting at wherever and, and chatting and, and talking about those types of stories. And, 
Yeah, and we've already heard a bunch of different stories, which is really, really exciting. We've got some exciting ones coming up as well. So in saying that, Chris, let's let's get into the High People podcast. Obviously, we've got to have a beginning. So where was uh, where was Christopher Roberts born, mate? Yeah, I was born in Campbelltown Hospital in southwest Sydney. So uh, back in 1995. And yeah, grew up in Campbelltown, specifically the suburb of Rosemeadow for the first 19, 20 years of my life. Awesome. And then you went to high school and, and school out there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we lived in a house uh, up until I was five, and then we moved into a new house literally in the same suburb, a few streets over that we lived in for until I moved out of home. So I went to Rosemary Public School until year three, I think, or year four. And then my brother, when he was in year six and needed to go to a new high school, that's when we went to Mount Annan Christian College, which is a year K to 12 school, which is in um, the suburb of Norellin. And so, yeah, I went there for year four, year five, all the way to year 12. Awesome. Did you, uh, were you, did you love school? Were you a school fan? Did you hate school? What was, what was your, what yeah, was? What, I think I settled into school? school really well. Like, I think the big part of my story is like, I, I didn't really know who I was kind of in that year five to seven sort of range. I was sort of slightly bullied. I think I was like, I've, I've always been a nerd and my adult years has kind of been reclaiming that every year I get, I just accept <laughs> it more and more. Um, but really like, I think I started loving school in year seven when I really discovered a few things about my life. So one of the huge things was back then I was seeing a pediatrician and I got diagnosed with um, mild Asperger's syndrome at the age of 13, was told I couldn't do comprehension that well, couldn't make eye contact, was a bit socially awkward. Uh, but it was a mild diagnosis. But when I went home, I really diagnosed myself, like I read up a lot on it. And I basically put myself in the box that I feel like I couldn't belong. And I didn't really, um, I didn't really, you know, fit in and I was dumb and all of these things. And it was really, I didn't realize until later in my life, how much that really impacted me. And my kind of escape from that was sport in year seven. So I remember my sport teacher who was one of my favorite teachers, his name's uh, Mr. Wads. And he just got me in basketball team and a few other things. And I remember just going, oh, like this is something where I can succeed at. I was already playing hockey, which is my big sport. I started playing hockey when I was eight and my dad, he had these pair of goalkeeper pads is field hockey. And so at about the age of 10 or 11, I think was when I tried those on for the first time and started playing goalkeeper. And in that same year, seven year was when I first made an, a New South Wales representative team. And I think that did good and bad things for my life. I think it really gave me a sense of pride and purpose, um, but it took up a lot of identity in my life. And when we realized with the diagnosis, how it actually, how I could actually hack it, I guess, to learn properly, I really started to thrive a bit more in my schooling, actually knowing what, how I learned and what I was good at. And so that's really the script of my teenage years was I was really defined and defined myself by my achievements in these areas. I was almost trying to prove against this diagnosis that I was smart and I was good at things and I could fit in. 
Um, we'll obviously talk more about that later, but yeah. And so I do love learning. So I really enjoyed that aspect of school. Um, I enjoyed the social aspect. I think everybody does. Like if you find your group mm. of friends, then you're seeing them every day. Like you never get that again, really, um, until maybe the workplace. But even then, that's a sort of different relationship. So yeah, I did really enjoy school. I was some tough aspects of it and, you know, but I, and you never really who you are in high school. I don't know if anybody really yeah. knows who they are, but yeah, I did. I did. It was a big formative part that then flowed into you know, the rest of my adult life. Yeah. It's a cool story. It's a cool take. And I think, you know, the, the idea of hindsight is, is really interesting because I suppose, and we'll talk about this later with the work that you're doing now with, with kids and, and, and those types of things, but you know, how to, you know, a kid has to comprehend, you know, these types of diagnoses or how do I fit in or, you know, why am I not good at this? or why am I not good at that? Like I, it's, it's such a journey that I think kids go through. I remember, you know, the same thing with sport, you know, you're, you're defined by success and failure at a very, very early age. If you, if you play, um, if you do play sport, but then also, you know, in the schooling ground, you know, what exams you get, what friendships you're in, what circles you're in, you know, it's quite a, it's a, it's a challenging time, but then you throw on, on top of that, um, you know, a diagnosis or, you know, this will be hard because of said, where it's like, well, I don't want it to be hard. Like I'm not, I'm not interested in that. So I think that's really, really interesting, but you touched on hockey. And now this is something I did not know about you until one night we were sitting in your apartment, actually, we're having <laughs> dinner, um, we're having a beer and we, we started chatting about hockey and I remember being just amazed by it and, and slightly annoyed that I hadn't spoken to you about this previously. Yeah, yeah. You've had quite a decent hockey career, mate. And so it started with your with your dad's you know, hockey goalie pads in the garage. Yeah, definitely. Um, my dad had played hockey. He was a goalkeeper. They're a different kind of breed. I do understand the goalies are a bit weird. Um, they <laughs> smell in hockey particularly too because the the gear gets all sweaty and stinky and anyway, um, you need them. <laughs> so yeah. Absolutely. So, I, so I think my first year playing hockey was in minkies. I was five. I really did not care at all. I just spent my time holding a girl's hand. I'm pretty sure. And then, <laughs> and then I think I played another year. I took a break and then I think I really joined, jo- you know, jumped back in when my dad sort of let me have a play around with his pads in the backyard. And I was like, Oh, I think I can do this. Like I, it was one of those things that hasn't really left me like the natural sort of reflexes or whatever it is that, you know, requires you to be a goalie. Like, um, yeah, so started playing and then was playing, you play above your age group, you play for the MacArthur hockey. That's your like sort of your regional team. And so you'd go to like a state championship where you'd play like Sydney and Wagga Wagga and, um, you know, all the different clubs. And then basically from there, they would select teams um, to represent the whole state at a national tournament. And so the very first tournament, uh, the very first age you can make a state team was in when you were 13. And so I remember being 12 was my first year. I remember making it and just being like, like, wow, like, but it really did fuel my pride. Like I remember, I think I would talk a lot about it. And I think it was definitely something that puffed me up. And so we played in Melbourne um, and I remember, I think the first game we played, I think I let in so many goals, like got pumped, but I really enjoyed the experience. And then the next year 
I didn't make the team, I don't think. Maybe I did. I think I did. And then the year after, I just didn't even make like a squad or anything. And it was my first year in a new age group. And I was just like, I just, it was devastating. Like when you have your whole identity in it, it really rocked me to my core. And I remember being really sad and really angry. And I think I was crying on the way home from this <laughs> for this tournament. And, <laughs> and, and then, you know, I, yeah, there was this point where I think it was around this time I started playing for this touring team. It was called the New South Wales Bush Rangers. And basically they were an alternative, they weren't a representative state team. Like they weren't official. Like you weren't, that wasn't the New South Wales team, but they provided like a pathway to grow and to be involved in some amazing experiences. So I joined them. And then I remember also being in youth group and one of the guys was like, one of the leaders was like, well, what happened if you broke your leg? Like, what if you never played hockey again? I remember being like, I'd get better. And, you know, I remember being like, I have this and I have this and have this. And he got to the point and was like, what if they stripped it all away? Like, would like following God would, you know, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, but yes, Christian, that is my, my <laughs> workplace as well. Um, but, you know, what if it was all stripped away? Like, who are you? Like, what is, is, is believing in God enough? I remember it challenged me. I don't know if it really hit home. In hindsight, it was a really powerful message. But um, yeah, I, I was amazing. I got to go to Argentina. I was 14 years old and I went with no parents um, on the, with this <laughs> New South Wales Bush Rangers team. Absolutely incredible experience. Like, especially being in COVID, I'm just so grateful that I got to do something just amazing as that. Like, I got to see Boca Juniors play River Plate live at the stadium. Like one of the best Amazing. experiences of my life. Um, I got to, like, there was a mix up and we were met to, like, I was in the junior team because it was an under 18 tournament and I was 14. And I remember the older team was meant to be playing the Dominican Republic national team, under 18 team. And there was this huge mix up. And so we're warming up and, and, and then there's this Dominican Republic, like bunch of 18 year olds who are so fit and like tall and we were like, <laughs> my manager was fuming. He was so angry. He was like, well, these guys can't play against them. And then they came up to us and they're like, well, do you still want to play them? And we're like, yes, please. We only lost one nil against them. They, they turned the oh, lights good. off halfway through the tournament. Anyway, it was crazy, amazing experience. Like loved it. I got to go to South Africa the year after on a huge tour. We went to Dubai. We we're in Durban, Pretoria, Johannesburg. We stayed in the place where the Argentinian soccer team stayed during the World Cup. Like just some, like we won the tournament, like there's some amazing experiences, like so, so blessed. I got to play in Singapore. I got to, um, yeah, I got to just do a lot, as, you know, and it was always the battle of being selected or not being selected. You know, there was politics involved and yeah, it just got to the point where like you really had to start getting in these next pathways like are you going to join the institute of sport are you going to get offered a scholarship are you going to start making these teams are you going to make some australian junior development teams because you know if you're really going to do this as your career in your life you really have to commit um i don't know if you want me to flow into how it sort of affected how i finished my career but um 
you know yeah, it, so if you so you work you work through it you've you've toured which is awesome you've done all these things and you know like it's it's now it's not easy not a spoiler alert but you're not playing hockey now in, yeah. in the same sense so what was the, what was the next flow for you how did it how did your career come to an end or was there a certain point where you went no nah, I'm, I'm i'm done or was it a natural sort of progression into i suppose an ending of your career yeah it's a good question it it you know this all sort of flows together it's hard to talk about it as a bubble because it all sort of is influenced by my other life things that are happening at the time but basically i finish high school i long story short i joined this new church in campbelltown and made some great friends and they were talking about going to do this year of bible college with fresh hope which was like this gap year i was planning on you know doing exercise science and rehabilitation and spoiler alert, I'm really glad I didn't do that. Um, and so I basically went and joined this um, Bible college gap year thinking I'd do it just for a year. Um, and we can dive in more to this later, but the, sh the short story is I didn't, I just, uh, through the first year, I, I sort of was still playing hockey, but the I was really, really unpacking what it meant to really put God at the, at the center of my life. Like we did a lot of work on sharing our story working out some of the wounds and things in our life that have caused us pain and where we can find healing from God in that. And I think it's like the driven part of me in this started to go where it, God was actually taking up more of my identity than sport did. I sort of had this like moment when you just step back, like you know, you're just striving for so long that I was actually able to get some perspective. And I was like, great, I love the sport. I'm driving to like, I wasn't living in uh, where I am now. I was driving a long way to get to my club in Pennant Hills. I wasn't even playing in the Premier League at the time. And I was, I think our team was just getting pumped. It was good for me. I got lots of work, but we weren't winning. And I was just like, do I even have any friends? Uh, do I even enjoy this? I felt lots of pressure all around me. There was lots of politics and I was going, this isn't, what I really want my life to be. I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I want to make this a thing. I don't know if I want to dive into that whole world and try and make a career out of it. And yeah, winning wasn't that important anymore. It was just sort of like, why, why am I here? Um, it was obvious enjoyment of it, but uh, I, you know, I still play sport now. I can still play futsal now or basketball or Frisbee. Like, I will love it, but it's just for fun. And I, I think I realized that that's all it really was. And so then another thing we'll touch on later, I sort of moved to Canberra for this big thing and had to make a decision on whether I was going to, I was in a squad and I was like really kind of doing well. Like I, I had opportunities and I decided to end it. I was like, I'm just going to quit this, finish this season and have some six months off. And I never went back. Um, mm. I sort of stopped playing and yeah, I just was like, was I really going to go into all this effort? I didn't really know what I was going to do next with my life, but it just was something where I really felt like that wasn't where God was leading me. You know, I don't want to use too much Christian easy language, but I really felt like there was something else for my life and not that you can't be a sportsman and be a Christian or go, you can't that's not a legitimate career. I think I just had some real clarity now that my identity wasn't in it, 
that like, I didn't even have mates. I didn't have friends. Like I was really focused on this thing and it was just making more f- me more frustrated and upset than it really was making me happy and peaceful. So the, yeah, yeah, I was in 2015. So I haven't played hockey in six years. Yeah, right. So it's funny though, like, cause with sport and, you know, we've all been through the ups and downs and I've been blessed enough to play cricket at, at a higher level as well. And you have those, those ups and downs and, you know, roundabouts and those points of like, why am I standing out here in 45 degree heat getting, you know, just, just not enjoying it. And, um, yeah, these things do come to a natural conclusion. I find, you know, like I found this year I'm transitioning into, um, you know, different roles and, and retiring out of my sport, which is, uh, it's really hard because you love the sport, you love the sport, but, um, the commitment and the time and, and everything around it is um a lot hard is, is is hard and you want to play the sport for for enjoying it but something I really I want to pick up on you you said um you you had a bit of a change in life you know there was there was a time where you went okay I don't know if I'm doing this and it and it happened to coincide with you going to Canberra um mm-hmm. on, and on this sort of gap year what what was in what was in Canberra what what was that journey what did what did that look like and how did that sort of project you to to where you are now. Yeah, so I was in, it was 2014, I was in my first year of Bible college um, and we went on, it was basically you'd do, I think, four subjects in a, um, in a diploma and we went on six different treks all around the state and there was sort of some practical ministry, you'd meet up with people, get involved, see what they're doing, like some really hands-on stuff, which was awesome and like some cool camping and stuff, like it was it's the dream. It was awesome. Like you, you just like, you never get to do that again as an adult. Like it's, hmm. and it's all going on hex. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, but we went to, in July of 2014, we went to Canberra and we went and to this place called Mission Heart. And I, I'll never forget it. Like we were, it was this tiny little office in the middle of the CBD of Canberra. And it was like, there was two pastors. I was like, I was a bit, you know, I had a kitchen and a bit of a sitting area and that was about it. And I was really kind of, you know, not really thinking about it much at all. And they said that we were going to get paired up um, with these pastors and these leaders and we were going to do some prayer walks. So their, their focus really was the homeless in Canberra. Because Canberra is such a uh, an elite kind of rich place. It's like one of the most affluent places in Australia. And it's very um, turbulent because people get jobs there, like government jobs, and they may be there for four years and then they'll move on with their career and kind of, it's a bit of a transient city and often the homeless will get left behind since there's not those long-term residents to really look after them. And so I went on this mission, I went on this walk with a guy named Jason and he knew every single homeless person. We, at one point he was talking to them. He was saying hi to a new person. Another point he's crying with them as they grieve a loss of a child, like praying with them. And I was just like, so shocked. Like it was something where I was just like, wow, this is incredible. Like this man is like living, you know, he's dedicated. He's been there for 25 years. Like he knows this community inside and out. And he's so, so loving to this community. This is the thing that like, you know, if you're listening and you're not a Christian, you might just go, this is all rubbish, but this is what I genuinely believe. At, later, they were doing a bit of a debrief and I swear that someone mentioned that they wanted a six month internship. 
someone would come down, volunteer, you know, do the drop-ins where they feed the homeless, be a part of the church, all that kind of thing. And I was like, my first instinct was like, heck no, no way on earth would I do that. Like my life was in Sydney, my, you know, all my relationships with the friends, family was all there. And, but for the rest of that year, I, it like, it was like a little dripping in my heart, like this thing, which was just like, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this until the point where I was just like, I knew in my mind that this was God telling me like, do it, like make the phone call. And so it was by the end of the year, we're trying to work out what to do next. I'd applied to do another year of Bible college. And I just, I, I'd canceled my uni altogether. Like I'd worked to get this crazy high ATAR to get in and I surrendered it. And I was just like, this is crazy, but I'm giving this guy a call. So I called this guy again, six months after, he probably doesn't even remember me. I call him up like, Hey, I think God's telling me to come and do this six month internship program. Uh, in maybe next year in Canberra and he bless him. He was like, I think he probably had no idea who I was. And I'd, and <laughs> the funny thing is, is like no one at mission heart and no one in my Bible college cohort remembers anybody ever saying that there was going to be a six month internship. No one remembers uh. it. So <laughs> I called him up and he was like, great. Sounds good. Like, would you come visit? So college finished. I drove down and visited, talked with him. We sort of scheduled in some dates and we were keen. And one of my college friends called me and was like, Oh, you're in Canberra. Let's hang out. Found out that his parents were leaving and were leaving him in charge of the house. They heard my story, added me to the lease. So God had already provided a place to live. It was 2014. I didn't move till June of 2015. It was one of the most, it's so surreal when you just leave your house for the first time. Like it was so mm. wild. And the first two weeks I absolutely hated it. Like I knew one of my roommates. I didn't know the other two. I only know Jason. I didn't know anyone else at Mission Heart. I was way out of my comfort zone. I didn't want to talk to the people while we were feeding uh, the homeless. Like, but I was like, this is why I'm here. And um, yeah. And so it was just this massive step where I actually had to learn to trust in God. Like I, really fumbled all my money. Like I had meant to, was meant to have enough money that I didn't have to work. I was just irresponsible. I was living at a home for the first time. I was only 19. And then I really just had to rely on God to actually provide for the first time in my life. It wasn't just a concept or an abstract thing. I actually had to pray and be like, God, I need you. This is not, you know, I've done this all. I actually don't deserve any of this, but God was amazing. I had to drive up to Sydney for college. Somebody would randomly at church give me 70 bucks petrol money the Sunday before. Um, I had people randomly donate money. I never went hungry, never missed my rent. Maybe I was late once or twice, but hmm. God really provided. And it was such a massive shift where, you know, I signed up to do an, a third year of Bible college, which was more of a live-in style. You live on site, which brought me up to Pendle Hill. Um, I was living near the Pathways Church and we were doing sort of a really in, intense live-in type of thing. And I, w I knew I had a passion for children's ministry that was sort of flourishing over the, those last two years. And I never thought it would really be my job. But then when I was up in Pathways, we were doing like these little one-week tryouts of all these different things. And that's where I met another member of the podcast 
Charlie and he um mm. he told he basically said, Hey, I'll train you up and you can run this kids club at this church and so it was cool. It was like forty or fifty kids, like I was twenty, I was I don't even know if I was twenty, I was twenty, but like I had no idea what I was doing. Absolutely none. And Charlie was like, I'll give you a term to train you. Classic Charlie, I love him. Just making that clear. But three weeks in, he was like, I gotta be away <laughs> next week. Uh, I'll pay you from next week if you can just run it on your own. So Mate, get in the deep end, that. mate. Start swimming. Yeah, it, it was that was it. But I just like loved it. I was like, you pay me to come up with games. You pay me to hang out with these kids. You pay me to feed them. And, you know, it was in, you know, it was in an area where this was just a huge part of their week and they just loved it. And I just remember being like, wow, this is, I think something I want to keep on doing. And, um, yeah, so it just sort of flowed on from there, which I can go into more detail later, but that's basically how things ended and started. It all happened pretty quickly, but yeah yeah it's an awesome story and and i've i've heard it you know once or twice now before but the thing that i love about it is no matter what your spiritual take is and you know we've had guys and, and girls on this show that you know would be christians and not christians and you know that's that's just it is what it is it's your story and that's the big thing and whatever a part of your story is 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 a part of it uh, whatever the, the spiritual affiliation or non-spiritual affiliation there's so many coincidences and so many times of people's real generous hearts um you know providing for a, for a young kid who's you know living out of uh, home for the first time you know giving him petrol money giving him food you know looking after him like no matter what you align yourself to um religion or what but it's just nice to hear you know people being really good now that's yeah. the one thing that i love about it it's like that's just some really good like motherly fatherly love you know what i mean mm -hmm. like they've just gone hey there's this guy who needs our help right now and you know 70 bucks to some person may look like you know seven cents to other people you know like it's a a real um just a blessing um that i love and to hear that in a sense the passion um uh, from you and it evolve over a time that you know a bit of a sliding doors moment you got a chance to run kids ministry then bang off all of a sudden you you've found that and if we if we fast forward now, you're in you're in Manly, um, you're in Manly Life Church. Um, mm. What's your role um, in Manly Life Church? Yeah, so I'm the kids and youth coordinator uh, and SRE. So if you don't know what SRE, that's Special Religious Education or Scripture, otherwise known as. So I started as the kids and youth coordinator, and then um, SRE was added to my role this year. And so that's a full-time role and basically I'm responsible for coordinating um, what you might know as Sunday school or kids church children's program on a Sunday as well as uh, the youth group on a Friday um, and teaching the, and organizing the teachers for those scripture classes at a local school in our area. And so, yeah, it's the story to get here was amazing but yeah this has been the last two years in this role have been like the best two years of ministry in my life and that's not uh saying that ministry has been bad but i've definitely had some experiences what i've really learned about the messiness of the church is probably all i'll say but i've come out of it and just gone like i just love the church so much like automatically me coming to the role I'm imperfect and I'm going to bring my own flaws and make it messy in my own way. But I just really believe that 
when you all come together worshiping the same God and trying to bless each other as well as bless the community, well then that's, I don't know if there's any better organization in the world if it gets done right, which is what I was saying. I think so far, maybe manly life might be the closest I've seen it that I've been a part of. And I'm just, yeah, I'm really blessed. It's, it's a bit of a privilege of a role. I get to be like a spiritual dad to a lot of kids and, um, yeah, it's been amazing. It's been awesome to sit back in, in my spot and, you know, obviously, you know, having real no involvement in the, in the kids church and Sunday school, but seeing the growth of it. And I remember, um, preaching one morning at morning church and seeing the amount of kids, um, that were, you know, coming through and, and going. And I think you were doing some musical performance at the front. And I, I remember saying from, from the stage, you know, I just honor Chris so much because the energy he brings to that and, um, you know, the way you go about it is so awesome. And I, I think that's why I love the Canberra story and, you know, Pendle Hill story so much is because you can see your passion really start to evolve um, and nearly get to a point where it is now, whether that's final form or whatever that looks like is, is, is really huge. And I think that's what I really like about your story. You can see like these stepping stones and these things that start to, to fall in, into line. I suppose to, to end this element of the story out, what's, what's your joy? What's, what's, what do you love about kids church? What do you love about being in, in this role at Manly Life? Yeah, I think one of the things that like first started to notice was like other people started to notice. I'd always like been a junior leader at youth camps growing up. And my mom was a, a kid's pastor at one point and was always sort of involved with that. So I think some of that has come from her, but others in my life started to notice, especially in that first year of Bible college, like I would naturally go and play with the pastor's kids or the, you know, I would run the youth games whenever we were at a youth group or like all these things. And I wouldn't even think about it. Like I was naturally doing it. And it was one of those things where people tell you, like if your people are telling you, you're kind of like, oh, maybe, maybe this is something that comes naturally. And then as it's grown, I just think, I just, you know, spoiler alert, like I'm about to have my own child and it's only just cemented <laughs> it more that like children are just so amazing. Like they're, it's such a privilege, like they're, growing and learning and this is when they get to um learn about god but they're really like they're i think there's a reason why jesus tells us to be childlike in our faith because they're so trusting and they're so full of joy and they haven't like become cynical or lost their enthusiasm or passion for jesus because of years of adult life and disappointments and worries like you know i think god really values children and just you know, the responsibility to look after them is it doesn't even feel like a responsibility to me. It just feels like a, a privilege and being able to just see, you know, some stories in our church. Like I think there was this young girl who started with her mum, never been to church before, but started coming just as I was in the role and weren't Christians. And now we, two years later, you know, they're both amazing, active in their faith, like, loving huge part of the church will like bring friends along and those things just like are the tip of the iceberg like i think it's such a privilege to be able to you know lead young people into the truth because i really valued that when i was growing up um i think kids 
need people to invest time in them. I think that's one of the biggest gifts you can gift to a child and to an adult, but especially to a child. Like you don't have to be cool. You don't have to be hip. You don't have to try and um, talk down to them. You don't have to, I mean, you can obviously teach to the age group, but like you don't have to baby them. If you just like spend time with them and be authentic and real and just be like, I'm someone on the journey as well. You know, it's so valuable and like, you know, I think in, especially in the Northern beaches, like I've done ministry obviously in the West where, you know, I guess need is more apparent, like physical, you know, people need money and they need food. And, and so there's a, there's a bit of a, more of a spiritual hunger and now being in the Northern beaches, like we kind of have everything. It's been a weird season of my life where I've, for the first time, I really haven't had to worry about my bank balance or what I'm going to eat or how I'm going to provide for myself. Um, and I think it's a different need. I think um, I've been sort of prepared to sort of, these children have everything, but that I believe they still need to find and discover who Jesus is in their life. And so, yeah, it's, it's something, you know, that grows every day, but I don't want to sound like a cliche, but you know, it is one of those jobs where you don't, for me, it doesn't really feel like working. Like obviously you have seasons that are hard, like, you know, that's just reality of life. But compared to hockey, like when that, when a hard season came, when I was really contemplating what I was doing, I felt like I could give that up. But, I, you know, I've had seasons when I've just gone, what, are, like, is this really what I'm meant to be doing? And the answer's still always been yes. So, yeah. That's awesome, man. I love that. That's, yeah, it's so cool. I think if you can sit back and go, you know, if you don't have to work a day in your life, you know, type of quote, I reckon that's pretty good. And I think that's a pretty good understanding and idea that you're you're on the right track and, I love that hockey analogy as well, that you can compare both and then the, the decision that you've made in the end is awesome. Now, we have to talk about uh, your lovely wife, Beth, um, who is, you know, she's a legend as well. Um, we'll have to interview her one day as well. But mate, I, I, <laughs> I laugh because I do love this story as well. Um, where did you meet her? How did you meet um, And yeah, and, and we'll, we'll obviously talk about your baby coming up as well, which is exciting. Yeah, definitely. Um, she's a legend. Amazing. Um, I had just moved up to Belrose. So basically I'd finished up my season at Pathways um, and had found a role at a church in Belrose and was at play group, just doing my thing, talking to mums, playing with the kids, part of my role, which was similar to what I'm in now. And person who I was talking to um, she was really good friends with Beth. They'd been to school together. They, uh, and, you know, I think I didn't know this, but at the time she had been sort of trying to get Beth uh, on, on all these sort of blind dates and things. And so she had told uh, Beth about me. And I think Beth rightly so was like, I'm not going to go to a church to pick up a guy because she's very sensible like that. Um, that's probably not a great reason to, I mean, any reason to get you to the Lord, but you know, Within she reason. already had the Lord, she already <laughs> had the Lord. So she didn't need to come. So then eventually Ev, uh, her name was Evelyn. She asked me like, would you, would you go on a blind date? And I was like, yes, why not? Like one, that's one of those things. A blind date is great because if you go and it doesn't work great, if you go and it does work amazing. 
it's not really, it's a bit of a lose win-win. So I go, like we basically, it was funny. Like, I think we'd both been told that we would, would want to go on a blind date and it was hard to sort of middleman up. And I think Beth made the first move and just sort of added me on Instagram and sent me a message being like, Hey, there's been all this back and forth, checking out profiles. Like I'm just sending you a message. Like, are we going to do this thing or what? And I remember Strong sort play of by Beth. I like yeah, that. Very Strong good. Play. Very good. Very, very good. Amazing play. You know, very thankful for that. And so uh, I said, yes, like, let's do it. What do you want to do? We we're both sort of studying at the time. So I think we had coffee on a Tuesday uh, up at Taste Baguette, which does have the best cinnamon scrolls on the northern beaches, just FYI. Nice. Um, yep, and so we, we met there and we chatted. I think we were meant to be for lunch. I think we talked for four hours and Beth knew that I was into her when, you know, we both went up and we were like, oh, we're both about to do our groceries. It was hilarious. And so I went with her and we went into Woolworths and then she was like, oh, there's no good avocados here. I'll go to Audi. And I was like, I'll come with you. And she, I think that's when she knew. I already knew because I went with her to Audi. And then <laughs> that's pretty uh, much a proposal then, right there. Like that's that's done and dusted. If you yeah, if you're doing grocery shopping together, that's game over. I mean, well, that's most of our marriage is grocery shopping, cooking, and eating. So it was a good um, boundary for that. So yeah, and then um, I was like, okay, you got to be strong here. Make the second move. I was like, hey, do you want to go on a second date? I'm going to organize it. It'll be this Saturday. I'll provide everything. So. She mentioned that she was gluten-free and had fallen out of love with baking. Uh, and I love baking. So I made gluten-free scones and I like tried them. I was like, if these suck, it's done. But they were good. <laughs> I pick her up. <sighs> we spent the whole day uh, up in Karingai Chase National Park. Pardon me. Um, and it was just a bit of a magical day, to be honest. Um, I was a bit suspicious of anybody that said like, when you know, you know, but mm. like we spent the whole day chatting, talking, we were like engaging on all these different levels. Like we'd known each other for ages. And I remember we were sitting, we were driving back and she was like, pull over. Like there's a sunset. So we were like sitting on this rock watching the sunset and she calls it my heavy breathing. Whenever I've made a big decision in my life, when I've proposed or whatever, I do this heavy breathing, like I'm really stressed. <laughs> so I, I think I spent the hot, the sun hit, you know, it was fully down. And then I finally was like, I really like you. This is amazing. Like, I want to keep hanging out with you. She was like, ah, yep, let's keep hanging out. So yeah, the rest is kind of history. I called my parents that day and said, I think I've met the girl that I'm going to marry. And I kind of had to be persuaded not to propose earlier. Like I proposed seven months in, uh, and I'm really glad, like we got our wedding in kind of a few months before all the big pandemic things happened. And yeah, it's been, it was just felt like the hugest gift from God to be introduced. It was just so out of my radar. I had no idea it was going to stumble along my life and yeah, she's incredible. Um, marriage is the best. I got a lot of ma weird marriage advice, like, you know. What was the weirdest uh, you got? It's just like, it's really, really hard. And I was like, I remember talking to Beth and she was like, I'm not marrying you for it to be harder. Like, what the heck? Like, we're, we're marrying to like, <laughs> this is going to be the best, you know. 
and it's been amazing. Like, I can't state how good it is. You know, she's just one of the most pure souls in the world. She's so supportive and kind and loves Jesus so much. And yeah, I, she's just wonderful. The best thing to ever happen to me apart from meeting Jesus. And, you know, we got led into this season in Manly and, you know, we were, uh, you know, we were having a baby. So uh, Beth mm. is 34 weeks pregnant right now. So even by the time that this is out, we'll be super close um, to having yeah, the baby. Close. And so, yeah, it's, you think like, you know, anyway, I don't want to get too spiritual, but like the Bible says that God is like a father and like is a perfect father who loves his children. And like even dumb earthly fathers who make mistakes, like they love their kids so much, like God loves you even more. And like, I haven't even met my baby, but like, I love my baby so much. Like mm. it's, it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just like, you feel a kick or whatever. And you just like, it's just like a miracle. I'm like, don't want to get emotional on the podcast, but it's like, I'm a kid's pastor. Like I am so excited. It's like one of the most exciting things. Like, you know, and I've heard all these things like you get, you won't get any sleep and all of this stuff. And I'm just like, I've heard other things that it just goes so fast. So we're just ready to sort of appreciate every moment. And yeah, I just want to give Beth all the credit. Like she's one of the most wonderful, strong women in the world. And she's been so supportive of me and my growth as a person and a follower of God. And, um, you know, I spent a few years of my life thinking that like, how would this all happen? And yeah, I, I think I'm just very blessed. I'm a very blessed man. Oh, it's so nice to hear, man. And like to hear the emotion in your voice and I get the, I'm going to say the privilege of actually seeing you because we're doing this over Zoom and I can see you, but to, to hear you talk about, you know, the, the next level, the next steps and, um, and to hear you dote over Beth as well. I, I think it's just such a beautiful thing. And I, I would put it down to a lot of the journeys that we've spoken about have, have, have come to a, in a sense, a point. Um, they've, they've come to, you know, a time where everything builds up and these things happen for a reason and stepping stones form and journeys start and relationships build and they build stronger and people start to walk into our lives and blind dates happen and sunsets occur. And, you know, like, I think there's all these beautiful things that line up to such a, a nice point. And, um, yeah, I, was, I just love that you're you're so excited for being a father too and, and doing those things, which it's just so beautiful um, to hear. And, and I love I love hearing it and we've spoken about it um, a couple of times. But I, I want to ask you again because I, I want to get really specific, but what's, you know, fatherhood, you know, what's the most exciting thing for you? Hmm. I think like... Right now, like we don't even know the sex of our baby, and so oh wow, really? Yeah, I did so not just, know that. That's yeah, cool. So just finding out that is going to be incredible, and just like seeing them, I don't know. Like that's that's obviously stage one, but like I just think like being able to share life and just sort of be an advocate for my child for the rest of their life, and you know, walk with them and talk to them and 
show them and put them in the bath and feed them food. Like it sounds sort of plain, but like those just like little everyday moments and just being able to like, yeah, it's like, obviously it's daunting, but like, you know, you can only do your best. And so, you know, you just, that's just the most exciting thing. Like this little bundle of life is going to, you know, look up to me and I just get to spend time with them and love them. I don't really know how else to describe it, but yeah. <laughs> I love that. I reckon it's so good. And I think there'll be a lot of parents out there who will be like, dude, I know what you're talking about. Just wait, just wait. The journey, the journey only gets better. Mate, it's been awesome. And again, I say thank you to for you for coming on. And you know, this did spark when I came on the Film and Food podcast and the, the two times that I've now been on it have been a lot of fun. And we said immediately, uh, I shared this spark with you, oh, would they nearly six months ago, I think, you know, a long time ago that, hey, I'm going to do this. And and uh, finally it was, uh, I think it was John, my housemate, he said, just buy the microphone and just do it. Like, just get into it. And then I remember sending you messages that night being like, we're on, we're, we're doing this. So you were a big part of the, the spark um, that started this. So thank you for that. And uh, it's been a real pleasure to, to hear your story. Um, I love the progression. I love, you know, what you've just done with it to where you're ending up now and and you and beth are just such beautiful people as well so it's been a real honor uh, and a pleasure to to have you on the high people podcast mate and um yeah i've really really enjoyed it so you know we we wish you and beth the best wishes for for when the baby comes and um clayton is a fantastic name for a boy mate so just gonna throw that out there that could be could be hey, right we're up struggling there, hard with names though <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, if anyone else has got any names, uh, put it in the description, uh, put it in the comment section and uh, we'll send yeah. through Chris. But Chris, thank you so much, mate, for coming on the High People podcast. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Oh, thank you, Clayton. Uh, you're an amazing man and this is going to be an amazing show. So I can't see, wait to hear all the other episodes and see what becomes of this. 